It's, uh, it's great to be back with you. In fact, I was in India uh, this last fall, and I was in a, in a, a gathering, and uh, we had all these people singing like we just sang, and uh, the Lord prompted in my heart, like He did this morning actually, and I, I invited them to, to open up their eyes and to sing to each other. And it just changed the atmosphere in the room. Because it's a reality that it's not just me that He loves, but it's us. And we are more connected to each other than we really realize is God's creatures in which He said, I have put my image and likeness into you. We're bound to each other. United. And that we are all Created by God, created in His image and in His likeness. Well, that's the extra for the morning. Um, so uh, it's great to be back with you. This is my first time inside your sacred, this sacred space, and, and it's such, so beautiful. And uh, I told uh, Johnny that when I first walked in, that the, the sound was, was just amazing and great. So good to be back with you. This morning I want to call you to, to greatness. I want to call you to a heroic kind of life. It's going to take great courage to live the life that God is calling you to live. The book that we open today is unlike any other book. I grew up in the church. I went to Sunday school nearly every Sunday. The only Sundays that I ever missed were Sundays that I was sick. I went to church on Sunday night. As I got older, I went to youth group. I went to camp. Went to vacation Bible school, and in vacation Bible school, I took my Bible because you got points for bringing your Bible to, to the vacation Bible school, and I wanted my team to win. I listened to the Bible stories, I listened to sermons, went to conferences, did all kinds of things. But usually the Bible remained on my bookshelf or somewhere in my room the rest of the week. And I had to dig it out for Sundays or whatever special thing I had to go to. And it was at a crossroads, a crisis in my life when I was seeking to know what God's direction was for me with regards to career that I began to read the Word of God as I commuted into San Francisco to work. And out of that time, I, I sensed God's call to, to pastoral ministry, to professional ministry. And so I came on staff at the church that my wife and I were attending at the time and and uh, started seminary. Finished my first year of seminary work. Just about killed me. Taking Greek. I think it took me. I didn't take it. But I took a course in the summer with a guest lecturer who came in. And it was only a week-long course. And in the midst of that course, the, the instructor called those of us that were in that room, and about probably a room about filled like this, he said, I call you, I challenge you 
to become a man or a woman of God. Now, I'm not sure I understood what that meant at the time, and I'm not sure I still understand fully what that means. But I heard that call and something resonated in my heart, and I said yes that day. I remember getting down on my knees and saying yes to the Lord. And that course, that single course, transformed my life. So if I opened myself up to God to do His work in me. I mean, this is the one course in all of seminary that has continued to have an effect upon my life. It's amazing, 42 years later, it's still impacting my life. And a part of that journey was the journey into the Word of God. I was challenged that day to spend time with God every day of my life. Now, I haven't made it every day. I will certainly confess that, but I've made it most days. To journey with God, to spend time with God, and a part of that was opening up His Word, this book. And God has been doing a transformative work in my life. And I'm becoming more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. still have a long ways to go. But I'm on the journey. And God has called every one of us in this room, not just a pastor, but He's called every one of us in this world to become a mature person to the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? To come to the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ. To be conformed to the image and to the likeness of Jesus Christ. To be filled up with the fullness of God. To be united with Christ. And that is a call to a courageous, heroic life. Because that life calls you, calls me, calls all of us who are followers of Jesus, who live in communion with Jesus, to die. But that death is with a purpose. And that is for resurrection. Every death is an opportunity for resurrection. And so an entrance into the Word of God is a call to death, but a call to resurrection as well. And this morning I want to talk to you. I want to encourage you through opening up and looking at the Word of God. Now, as I come to that place this morning, I want to remind you that I don't want you to hear my voice. You'll hear it. But I want you to hear a deeper voice. I want you to hear a louder voice. And that's the voice of God. That's the voice of God. Let's be still for just a moment. Lord, speak. Your servants are listening. And we say yes to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
So if you have your Bibles this morning, I would encourage you to turn to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to be looking at just two verses. In the first uh, service, I only got through one verse, so maybe we'll get through two. The context of the passage in Hebrews chapter 4 is a call for the people of God to live in rest. And God continues to call us as the people of God to live in rest. That you are to be a person at rest. How many of you are resting this morning? How many of you have anxiety wrestling inside of you? How many of you are got your mind racing with all the things that you have to do? This world presses upon us and says, oh, you've got so much to do, so much to accomplish. And it causes us to be anxious. It causes us to desire to, to just press on and we've got to go through and accomplish. But God calls us to rest. Now that rest doesn't mean we put our feet up on the ottoman or we recline back in our recliner, but it's in the midst of this life, of all that we are called to do, living in a place of rest. That there's a rest. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. He didn't say come and just be away. He said, no, come and do life. There are seasons for being apart, but there are seasons for being involved. But do it all in rest. That's the, the life of the person who is living in maturity. Jesus Christ always, even in the garden, in the struggle, of going to the cross, I believe there was a rest. Even though as there was an anxiety, there was a rest. There was a rest. You know how the world might look at us differently if they saw us? It rest. It rest. So in the midst of that context, the, writers of, the writer of Hebrews then says in verses 12 and 13 these words. He says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intention of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are hidden and lay bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. May God bless the reading of his holy word. The Word of God is living and active. What is the Word of God? What is the Word of God? Well, in 2 Timothy 3.16, we read that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two... Or excuse me, that's not 3.16. All Scripture is inspired by God. And is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequately equipped for all good works. All Scripture is God-breathed. Now as Paul is pinning this to Timothy, he is probably referring to the Old Testament Scriptures because that's the only Scripture that was available at that time. There may have been some of Paul's letters that were beginning to be to recognize their authority, to recognize their place in the church at this time. But predominantly, all that was recognized as Scripture was the Old Testament. And Paul is saying it's inspired by God, that God is involved in it, that there was the hand of man and the hand of God mysteriously joined together in the writing of this Word. 
And that's what we believe about the New Testament as well. That in the writing of the New Testament Scriptures, there was the hand of God and the hand of man mysteriously involved in penning it for us today. And it continues to carry forth as the Word of God. It was not only inspired in its writing, but I believe it was inspired in its collection as well. It is coming together as men sat around the table and tried to discern what is the Word of God and what is not the Word of God, that God was there in that moment as well. And so I believe that this book that you and I open every week is the Word of God, an opportunity for us to hear from God. But in the prologue of John... John writes, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And that the Word is not only this written Word, but the Word is the person of Jesus Christ Himself, that He is also the expression, the explanation of God. And he reveals truth and he reveals grace. And so we have the written word and we have the living word, Jesus Christ. And both and together they speak to us what God has to say. That when I open this book, it is not merely an encounter with the words on the page, but it's an encounter with the living Christ. This morning as we open up the Word of God, it is an encounter. Not with my interpretation or my understanding, but it's an encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. That the Lord is here and He is speaking. When you sit in your room and you're in your chair and you open up this Word, it is an encounter for you with the living person of Jesus Christ. It is not an encounter merely with a text but encounter with the person. The person of Jesus Christ. It's not a static concept or principle or ideas or thoughts. It's Christ. Jesus said in John 5, 39 and 40, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is these that bear witness of me in order that you may have life. See, the Pharisees thought that the, that the scriptures were to reveal a better way of life, that if I take the scriptures, I'll receive a better way of life. I think that we're more like the Pharisees than, than we want to admit oftentimes. Because we oftentimes come to the Scripture seeking an answer, seeking a better life. That I'll find a principle, I'll find a, a, a nugget of truth, or something that I can take and apply to my life. Some practical thing that, that I can use. 
How do I know that? Because I've read the Scripture that way and I've preached the Scripture that way. But it's more than that. It's an encounter with the living Christ. It's an encounter with the person. It's an encounter with God. And as I see Scripture that way, it transforms how I approach it. It transforms the allowance for God to do in me what He wants to do. We look to the Scriptures oftentimes for a way to give us life. And usually that life means making it easier and making it more comfortable. But it's an encounter with the person of Jesus who calls us to die in order that we might live. You see, the Scriptures call us to death, but that death doesn't leave us there in death. It brings us to the place of resurrection. It doesn't leave us in the place that we are in our lives. It takes us out of that place, that place of deadness, and opens up the door for resurrection life within us where Christ is more fully formed in us and Christ becomes evident through our lives. Jesus said, the Word bears witness of me. It's in a dynamic encounter with God. To come to the Word of God, to come to this book, can be a dangerous encounter. That's why it calls for heroic lifestyle. That's why it calls for courage. Because the Bible says this, it says in, verse, in chapter 14, as we continue on, the Word is living and active. This is a living and active Word. It is not a static Word. It is not a dead Word. It is not a Word that's just contained within these, these pages. It is a Word that comes alive in my life. It is a Word that meets me where I'm at today. It's a Word that meets me in the workplace. It's a Word that meets me in my family life. It's a Word that meets me in my neighborhood. It's a Word that meets me in every sphere in which I walk because Christ is interested in every aspect of my life. He's interested in forming me so that always in every activity Christ is being seen. And so it's a work that wants to give more life which means I've got to continually be dying. It's an active word. It's a word that is creative. It's a word that is recreating. It's creating me into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. You know, when I went to Sunday school and I went to hear all the sermons on Sunday morning, I usually fell asleep when I was really young. And when I, I hope you don't fall asleep this morning, when I was, uh, you know, going to youth group, I, you know, I, I didn't know what was happening. I, I thought I was supposed to learn all these facts, all these stories, and all that. But God's doing a deeper work, and I believe that all those things were creating a work in me that was transforming me that I had no awareness of. Because God's Word is always creating. Remember Genesis? How did God create the world? Through His Word. He creates in us through His Word. And when we become cooperative with that work of God, it can become far deeper. The Word of God is dangerous because it's sharper than any two-edged sword. 
as I was thinking about this week or uh, even last week, I, I, I had this, this memory of the 1992 movie, The Bodyguard. Any of you remember that movie? Some of you are old enough, some of you are not. But in that movie, Kevin Costner is the bodyguard. And in one scene, he, he takes his uh, Marine Corps sword off of the, the rack that it's on. And Whitney Houston, who is, whom he is guarding, who is a singer, and he takes her chiffon veil and he tosses it into the air. I believe it was blue, if I can recall correctly. And he just lets it fall over the sword. And that sword, in its sharpness, just pierces, cuts through that Siobhan veil. You remember that? Sharper. The Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's like the knife, the scalpel of a surgeon. Sharper than that scalpel. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit. So it's not an outward work. It's not cutting of the flesh. It's not, it's not a flesh kind of thing. It's, it's a word that comes and pierces to the very center of my being, into the place of the soul, into the place of the spirit, that unseen place, that place that we can't even truly define that's in us. But it's a part of us. And it comes and it pierces and cuts those places away. Why? So that God can do His work within us. It's an inward work that God wants to accomplish in us. It's an encounter into the broken places of our lives. Into the places of sin and darkness. It cuts through the facade and enters into our life of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow. And when I think of, of joints, I, I think of the, the joints in my body, that which holds it, the different parts together. There's also joints in, in, return, in with regards to building things. There's, there's joints, there's places of connection and so the, the Scripture comes and, and cuts through all those places that, that I make connections to be who I am. The Word of God cuts through your cultural beliefs. It cuts through your sorrows and your brokenness. <coughs> Excuse me. It cuts through the experiences that you have had in your life. It begins to lay them bare in order that Christ may transform you. The marrow. I think of the bone marrow, that, that inner piece that you, you, can't, you, know, you can't see. We see the outward shell, but there's something deep inside of it. That's the essence of the bones that we have in our bodies. And so the Word of God cuts through the very essence of who we are. What He wants to do is He wants to get down to the essence of who we are. And who we are in essence is the image and likeness of God. He wants to get into that place so that it becomes evident in our lives. It becomes a living reality that Christ be formed in us. Every one of us. Not in the, just the pastor, but in every one of us. And able to judge 
thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It's a work that goes to the heart. Some of you have been engaged in, in, a, in a course. It uses Proverbs 4.23 as kind of its centerpiece, as its, its kickoff piece. It says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the spring of life. In our Western culture, we often think that everything comes out of the brain, that the brain is the central element of life, that everything is in the head, in our rational abilities to create and to understand and to know. But the scriptures point us to the heart. Jesus says that thoughts arise out of the heart. We can't fully understand what is in the heart, but those that I've read over the years indicate that the heart is the place in which the Spirit, my Spirit, and God's Spirit are joined to one another. It's the place of the will. It's the place also of the mind. See, when we think of mind, we think of, uh, of this, but, but there's, a mind, there's a mind that is in the heart. There's a, that scripture in, in Romans chapter 12 that says, renew your mind. And so we think, renew your, your understanding, your rational understanding of things. No, it's talking there about the mind of the heart. That my heart needs to be renewed every day. And so as I open up the Word of God and I let it Christ speak to me through it, what is happening is my mind, my heart is being transformed so that I can do the will of God. My rational mind will take me far away from the will of God. Because my right, rational mind says, be safe, be comfortable, be secure. God says, die in order that you might live. And so there's this work when we read the Word of God that it's to be a heart work. It's not just about understanding ideas and concepts and being able to tell the stories and be able to quote verses but it's about letting you meet Jesus Christ, the person, as an encounter with Him and letting Him work on your heart. Every day that I come to the Word of God, it's an encounter with Jesus Christ. I didn't know that when I began the journey. I've grown in that understanding and that realization. And I find most mornings that when I come to the Word of God to read just a small portion, that I find myself under judgment. Not a negative judgment. Not a condemning judgment. But a judgment that says, this is where you are. And this is who I'm calling you to be. And every encounter there's a sorrow. But there's a joy. Because he's calling me on this journey and he's with me in the journey and he doesn't abandon me in the journey. He accepts me where I am in my life. This is something we have to realize as Christians. God's accepting you right where you are. You don't have to pretend to be something other than what you are. In fact, as long as you're pretending to be something other than what you are, God can't do anything. It's only when you accept who you are, fully who you are. Yes, I am a contradiction. I am living in Jesus Christ. And at the same time, my life is full of sin and brokenness. And there's mourning over this, but there's joy in the reality that He has accepted me still and He's still working me. And He's not saying, well, you should be here. No, He takes me right where I'm at and says, come and go with me further.
come, journey into me more deeply. And there's death and there's resurrection. And it takes courage to be on that journey. Because it's dangerous. Because it strips away the old self. It strips away the brokenness. But we're used to living in the brokenness. We're used to living in the identity of who we are. And so that becomes comfortable for us. And to step away from that comfort is even more dangerous because you don't know what it's going to lead to. So it takes great courage. The encounter with the Word is going after my broken places in my life so that the image and likeness of Jesus Christ may be conformed in me so that the world might truly encounter the incarnational Jesus Christ through you and me today. The way the world is really going to see Jesus Christ today in so many opportunities is through your life and my life. That Christ live in us. I can't just be satisfied with being saved. I have to be saved right now as well that I might fully experience salvation of the future. Work out your salvation, Paul tells us. Work it out. It's the ongoing journey. It began in my baptism. It began in my conversion. But it's an ongoing experience of that salvific work of God every day of your life as you encounter Him. He wants health for you. He wants wholeness for you. He wants healing for you. That you can be all that God created you to be from the very foundations of the world when He said, I am going to create man in my image and after my likeness. That's God's goal for you. That's God's desire for you. God's longing for you. And the same is for me. The writer then says, there is no creature hidden from his sight. I don't know if I like that word. God knows me. God knows me. In fact, I believe he knows me better than I know me. I'm pretty good at pretending. I'm pretty good at putting on the mask of of life that is the American mask. You know, what what you have to put on in order to be accepted in, in our world. The mask that I have to put on to to achieve, to accomplish, to fulfill, to be a good American. And God says, that's not all that I've created you to be. In fact, some of that needs to be stripped away. He knows me. He knows what needs to be stripped away. He knows the pain. He knows the brokenness. He knows the very depth of my sin. He knows the shame that I bear. He knows the guilt. He knows it all. And I would be embarrassed for you to know some of that. But he knows it. And he's not here with a sledgehammer to crack me in the head. He's here to call me into death and resurrection. To enter into the fullness of communion with him. Filled up with the fullness of God. 
even though he knows me, even though he knows you. And he goes on, he says, that all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. All things are open. All things are open to him and they're laid bare. There's nothing you can hide. He sees the heart. He sees the thoughts that run through your mind. Nothing's hidden. They're laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The idea of, of laid bare carries two images here. One is the, the gladiatorial arena and the other is the sacrificial altar. And the picture and the image of the sacrificial altar is that which is being sacrificed, laid upon the altar and its head stretched back and opening up the neck to its sword of sacrifice. And so when we come to the Word of God, we're ex fully exposed. There is nothing hidden from God. There's nothing that, that, he, that, that we can keep Him from working on where He wants to work on us. And He comes and He cuts. And we die that we might live. We want to live, don't we? We really want to live. We really want Christ to be alive in us. We really want all of these things. But in order to get there, we have to join Jesus. And we have to die. There's death, then resurrection. We just want resurrection. We want magic wand. Whoosh! Whoosh! You're there. No, he says there's death. Then resurrection. In the gladiatorial arena, it's the image of the, the, the vanquished soldier being taken by the victor and laid over his knees and his neck laid bare and the slash of death coming to that one who has been vanquished and dying. But in Christ, it is not just about death. It is also about resurrection. It's about the fullness of life in Jesus Christ coming fully formed in you once again. But in order for there to be that life, there has to be death. I am fully known by Christ. I am known deeper and more, more. He's more aware of who I am than I am myself. Let me tell you a story. I don't like telling this story. Just a couple of weeks ago, I'm preparing to go to India, leave on Thursday, and, and my wife um, is helping me get ready and it's been a while since I've had my immunizations checked and, you know, it's my shots. I want to be up to date on those so I don't get ill. And just before we moved here from California, this has been two and a half years ago now, my wife and I, the day before we moved, we went to Kaiser Permanente, which we are part of in California, and we had them put on disc our medical records so that we could bring them here and quickly get them to doctors. Two and a half years later, they're somewhere. And of course, I'm now in a rush to get my immunization records and, and my wife can't find them. 
And who's the blame? Obviously her. I mean, you know, I didn't say, well, hey, let me, find, let me take these to the doctor, you know, when, when we get there. And so I'm feeling the pressure. I'm calling California and trying to get these records. And, I'm, you know, I'm getting phone, phone tree all over the world. Maybe literally. But anyway, I'm making these phone calls and, and trying to get these records. And the frustration is, is, I actually handled it pretty well, but there was some frustration. But anyway, where the frustration came out was with my wife. Because it was her fault. None of you men know about these things, right? You're... Wives, you've never experienced this from your husband, have you? And, and I've gotten angry at my wife before, and I probably will do it again. But God showed me something this time. He went deeper than just the anger. You know, I've, been, I, I've, I've apologized to my wife several times over the years, many times over the years, for outbursts of anger like that. But God showed me something deeper. He said, Bill... It's not just about the anger. He said, Bill, it's about wanting to hurt your wife and what you're saying. Bill, it's about you wanting her to feel shame in what you're saying. I've never seen it before. That takes it to a whole other level. I don't really want to hurt my wife. I really don't want to shame her. And I didn't think, well, let me shame her. I didn't think, you know, well, let me, let me make her feel bad. It wasn't like I, I thought that through. It was just what I did. You know what I'm talking about? came out before I knew it was going on. And the Word of God exposes us to those things. But the way to resurrection, the way for that transformation where I don't do that anymore is first of all to become aware of it. That's the work of God, helping me to become aware of it. And then for that transformative work through repentance and saying, oh God, I never want my wife to experience that again from me. But the transformative work begins and continues in my life. I'm not saying I'll never do it again even. But I'm further down the road than before. And that is because the Word of God is working and changing my life. But it takes a consistency of being in that Word of exposing myself to Jesus Christ and letting Him do the work that He wants to do, that I might be created in His image and His likeness. Not just for my sake, not for the sake of my wife only, my children and everyone else that I live in touch with, but for the sake of the world. For the sake of the world. Brothers and sisters, God is calling you and me to a life, to a life of reflecting, of being Jesus Christ in the world today. And a part of that journey is going to take us into the Word, not only the written Word, but the person of Jesus Christ, the Word. And having divine encounters with Him so that our lives can be transformed where we die 
in order that Christ might truly live. Will you join me on the journey? I know that some of you have been on that journey. Praise God, keep going. Some of you have started that journey and stopped on that journey. I know about that as well. You started the first of the year and you probably said, I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to do all these things every day. And now you're you know, a month and a half in, a month in and you've already stopped. That's okay. You stopped eating one day too, but you didn't stop forever. You got back up and you ate the next day. Feast on the Word of God. Feast on Jesus Christ. Eat Him. Put Him into your life that He might reflect through you into the world for the sake of the world in which you and I are invited to live in. God bless you. Let's pray. Lord, our flesh doesn't want to die. It really doesn't. It's safe. It's comfortable. It feels like an old shoe. God, you call us to die. But on the other side of death is your resurrection life. Lord, we desire that. Lord, help us to desire that more than the comfort, more than the safety, more than the security that this world has to offer us, which is limited and small. And so, Lord, I pray that you would cause us as your people this morning to arise with courage to live this heroic life for the sake of the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Bill. Let's all stand.